Hey, my name's Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope ultimately that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Amen. You know, it's real special. This morning, grab a seat. It's real special this morning to be able to uh, continue in our Valley series. And we're really excited this morning to have Olivia de Groot sharing God's word with us this morning. So as she comes up, why don't we give her a big hand and welcome her this morning to church. It's good to have you with us. Good morning, church. As Ruben has said, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Olivia de Groot. A lot of people around this place call me Liv. I have had the privilege of calling this place Crossroads my church home since I was just a wee baby. And so I count it a real honor and a privilege to be able to open God's word in a place and with a group of people that has invested and poured so much in wisdom and truth into my own life. And so before I even start, I just want to acknowledge you and honor you as my church family and say thank you. I know a lot of you have personally supported me, prayed for me, and played a massive role in my faith journey. And so it's real special to be able to share God's truth with you this morning. If this is your first time here at church or tuning in online, then welcome. In our morning service, we've been going through a series, as Ruben said, called Valleys, talking about the fact that life isn't easy. And we've been following the stories of four prophets in the Bible who have been through their own valleys. And after looking at their stories, we've been asking and wrestling with the question of what does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus in these valleys? How do we acknowledge the difficult places we find ourselves in whilst also remembering the hope that Jesus calls us to? And so far in the series, we've looked at Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and today we are looking at the story of Jonah. Now, when you think of Jonah, perhaps like me, you think of the Jonah VeggieTales movie, or maybe you just think of the classic Sunday school story of a man being swallowed by a whale, or perhaps you've never heard this man's story before. Regardless of your background on Jonah, I really want to encourage you this morning that this story is so much more than a fun story for kids. I want you to take what you know about the story and set it aside and come today with fresh eyes and an expectant heart, for I really believe that God is wanting to invite us into a new way of reading and seeing this story. This book of the Bible is quite small. It's only four chapters in length and takes up two to four pages in most Bibles, and you can quite easily read it in one sitting. But although it is tiny, it is incredibly complex and beautiful. And as I've taken a deep dive into it, I've been blown away by its intricacy and challenged and convicted by its message. This is a narrative full of irony of characters who don't do what you would expect of them stereotypically. We have a prophet who hates and rebels against his own God. We have a group of sailors who don't believe in God but come to have soft and repentant hearts. And we have the king of the most vile and violent empire on the planet at the time who humbles himself before God. And we are told that even the king's cows repent, though how a cow repents, I do not know. Today, we're going to be focusing in on the last chapter of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, and looking at the valley that Jonah finds himself in here. In this chapter, Jonah is having some deep wrestles with God and his character. He thinks that what God is doing is unjust and unfair, and he is angry, livid even at God. Jonah is angry at God's compassion and mercy on his enemies. He finds God's mercy offensive and would rather die than see his mercies receive, sorry, receive, see his enemies receive the love and grace of God. And maybe for some of us, our current valley looks like wrestling with God or struggling to see what God is doing. 
Maybe there's an aspect of God's character that you just can't seem to get your head around or agree with. Maybe like Jonah, you think that what God is doing in your own life or in the lives of those around you is unjust and unfair and you are angry. Perhaps in this world that is so full of darkness and destruction, you've lost sight of the mercy and grace of the good news. And so today, I want to unpack together the idea of God's mercy and look at Jonah's wrestle of how we interact with a God who would have compassion and mercy on people who we think don't deserve it. And I think you'll find as we explore this today that Jonah's heart closely reflects our own and that there is a piece of Jonah in all of us. So are you ready to come on this journey with me today? Cool. Now, before we jump into the passage, I think it's important to set the scene and quickly bring you up to speed on Jonah and the context for his wrestle with God. And so the book of Jonah is not actually the first time that this Jonah, son of Amittai, is mentioned in the Bible. We first see Jonah mentioned in 2 Kings during the reign of an evil king, Jeroboam II, um, who was described as one of Israel's worst kings. At this time, the nation of Israel has been split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And Jonah, son of Amittai, lived in the north, which had been led by 13 consecutive kings who the Bible describes as did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Despite Israel's disobedience against God, Jonah is used to bring a message to this wicked king and prophesy in his favor of how God is going to restore the land of Israel back to what it was in the days of Solomon by allowing him to win a battle that will will regain a large area of territory on Israel's northern border. Jonah's message was good news to Israel. In 2 Kings 14, starting at verse 23, it says, Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, began to rule over Israel in the 15th year of King Amaziah's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 41 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had led Israel to commit. Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Labohamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from gath Hepha. For the Lord saw the bitter suffering of everyone in Israel, and that there was no one in Israel, slave or free, to help them. And because the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel completely, he used Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, to save them. It was through Jonah's preaching to Jeroboam II that Israel was able to fix its borders that had been weakened by previous conflicts with Assyria. This saved the people of Israel from being wiped out. Now, the Assyrian Empire was a great enemy of Israel and had a long-standing history of being a threat to God's people. During the time of the book of Jonah, there was a brief period of peace from the Assyrians as they experienced a decline in their empire due to the death of one of their rulers. And this peace, although welcome, was not enough to forget who these people were. The Assyrians were a brutal and fierce society. I'll spare you the details because it was not nice, but they were known to torture and mutilate their captives after defeating cities to warn any countries who might want to go to war with them. But thanks to the good news that Jonah brought Jeroboam II, Jonah and the people of Israel were safe and far away from the Assyrians. For now. Now, keeping the success of Jonah's first mission in mind, we now come to the book of Jonah. And what does God ask the prophet to do this time? In Jonah chapter 1, it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. 
get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Okay, already we have a slight problem. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, the capital city of the nation full of ruthless warriors and murderous people, a people group that Jonah hated and despised. This next message isn't for the Israelites, but for a nation that did not believe in God, a Gentile city. And God, you want me, Jonah, to go to those people? And like most of us, Jonah doesn't really fancy being the bearer of bad news, especially to people like the Ninevites, who were known for the brutal ways they treated their enemies. And so what does Jonah do? He says, nope, no way, and he runs away. He gets on a boat that is going in the complete opposite direction to the city of Nineveh and gets on a ship that is sailing for Tarshish. But on the way to Tarshish, the Lord sends a powerful storm that the Bible describes as being so strong that it threatened to break the ship apart. Jonah, however, is blissfully unaware of this raging storm and is fast asleep in the hold of the ship. He is very quickly awoken from his sleep by these sailors who are frantic and frightened by the storm. And much to their horror, Jonah confesses that he is the reason for the storm, that he has been running from the Lord, who Jonah quotes as the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And so the best thing they can do, Jonah says, is to throw him overboard. The sailors are very hesitant and they try to row to shore, but the storm is too great. And so that's exactly what they do. They throw Jonah into the sea. And to their disbelief, the storm stops immediately. And so these sailors who don't believe in God are in awe of God and praise him for what he has done. Jonah, meanwhile, is sinking to the bottom of the sea. And so the Lord has mercy on him and sends a great fish to rescue him by swallowing him up. Jonah spends three days and nights in the belly of this great sea creature and prays to God, thanking him for his kindness and mercy, for having compassion and saving his life. The great fish then spits Jonah out onto dry land, and God speaks to Jonah a second time, repeating his instructions. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. And this time, Jonah obeys, and he makes his way to the great city of Nineveh. Now, we've already established that it's not called a great city based on what the people there are like, but rather because it's a large city. It would take Jonah three days to cover the city on foot, which is very large by ancient standards. As Jonah begins to enter the city, he walks in a day's journey and preaches this message. Forty days from now, and the city of Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, to me, this message is a pretty half-hearted attempt to get the most murderous nation on the planet to turn to God. Jonah's message is only five words in the Hebrew language, and it doesn't mention God, nor does it mention what this nation should do to avoid the impending destruction. It's almost like Jonah wanted his message to fail. But to Jonah's surprise and utter dismay, God worked through his message, and the king of Nineveh, the ruler of a vile and cruel empire, issues a proclamation that all should turn from their ways and call out to God that God might have mercy on them and save them. God sees the Ninevites' hearts and he has compassion towards them and decides that he would not destroy them as he said they would. And this brings us to where we are picking up the story today in Jonah chapter 4, if you want to read along with me. It says, This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? 
That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And this abrupt finish is where the book ends. We don't get to hear Jonah's response. And there is so much that we could unpack about this story, but today I want to take a closer look at Jonah's anger at God's mercy and this inner battle that Jonah seems to be having about the character of his God. And I think you'll find that as we do this, the book of Jonah becomes less about Jonah and more about me and about you. God's questions to Jonah are relevant for us too. I think one of the first reactions we can have to reading this chapter is to think that perhaps Jonah is being a little bit of a drama queen. If we put ourselves in his shoes though, Jonah has just seen an incredibly evil, evil group of people, bloodthirsty, atrocious people whom scholars have likened to the likes of Hitler, hear God's message through Jonah, and then to his disbelief, repent and receive God's mercy. This evil nation, this enemy of Israel, are spared from their impending doom. It's understandable that Jonah is angry. He wanted God to bring judgment on these people he hated. Where is the God of justice? And so Jonah gets mad, real mad at God. He essentially throws God's description of himself back in his face. The first time God describes himself, and this description is repeated throughout the Old Testament, is when God is making a covenant with Israel and giving them the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 34, it says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. Jonah is angry because God is being true to who he says he is, and he doesn't like it. Jonah does not like that God is merciful to people who he thinks don't deserve it. God has shown Jonah immense mercy, but Jonah refuses to extend the same mercy to his enemies. Usually, when a preacher or prophet gives a message, they are happy when it is received well, and when the people change their behavior to live in a way that's pleasing to God. But Jonah is not stoked. Jonah knew that God was full of grace and mercy, and he was afraid to tell the people of Nineveh about it, out of pure fear and terror that they would repent. 
He didn't run away to Tarshish because he was worried the people of Nineveh wouldn't listen to his message. He ran away because he was worried that they would listen to his message. And this whole situation is quite ironic, isn't it? Because we know that God has just thrown the same mercy to Jonah. When Jonah is thrown into the ocean and left to drown, God has mercy on him and sends a big fish to be his refuge for three days and three nights. Jonah himself enjoys God's mercy, but resents it when it is then extended to others. And so God asks Jonah the question, is it right for you to be angry? And then God has mercy on Jonah once again and provides a plant to shade his head. And Jonah is quite happy about his little plant until the next day when the plant withers and dies and again Jonah is angry and exclaims in his fury that death would certainly be better than living like this. And I don't know about you, but by this point in the story, I'm starting to get a little bit frustrated. And I'm like, man, why does God keep trying with this guy? Why does he keep showing him mercy time after time? Jonah barely even did his job. He doesn't really deserve the kindness God is showing him. And then it hits me. I am being Jonah towards Jonah. And now I'm getting offended by God's mercy towards Jonah. You see, the thing about mercy is that it is always undeserved. No one deserves God's mercy. If you're hearing me throw around this word mercy, but perhaps you're not really sure what I'm talking about, it makes me think about this game that often seems to get played by boys in primary school, where you grab the other person's hand and you interlock your fingers, and then you try to bend the other person's hand back, essentially straining their wrist. And then when someone has had enough or they're in too much pain, they yell out, mercy. Has anyone played this game or heard of this game? Yes, stupid game but it gives you the kind of idea of the meaning to this word. And the definition of mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Ultimately, the Ninevites deserved to die for what they had done. Their endless reign of destruction and violence could no longer go unpunished. But God, this God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster, does not want to see his children, his creations, be destroyed. In Ezekiel 18, it says, Do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Says the sovereign Lord. Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. And so in his goodness and mercy, God offers the Ninevites a chance to change their ways through the words of his very reluctant prophet Jonah. And the Ninevites listen. And so God in his mercy chooses not to destroy them. Our God is not a God who delights in the death of the wicked, but who longs to show mercy in response to repentance. No one is beyond the reach of God's mercy and offensive grace. And even though we know no one is deserving of God's mercy, I think as we look at stories like this, we can quite easily find ourselves falling into the same trap as Jonah, thinking, yeah, maybe I'm not perfect and I don't deserve God's mercy, but at least it wouldn't be wasted on some evil person. At least God was smart and right to save me. I'm a good person, right? But the reality is, is we are all sinners, We are all broken, imperfect people who are totally unworthy of receiving the love and mercy that is freely given from our good and gracious God. If God can freely give his mercy to me and to you, then there is no one on earth that he couldn't show the same mercy to. And so as we sit in the valley with Jonah and we wrestle with this idea of a God who would have mercy on people who don't deserve it, I want to repeat the question that the Lord asked Jonah again. Church. 
is it right for you to be angry? And I don't know about you, but I find this question quite confronting because when we look at the world around us and we see innocent people dying in a war that doesn't seem to end, and we see our brothers and sisters being persecuted for their faith on the daily, and we turn on the news and we see stories of brokenness and of large corporations making millions from picking on the little guy, and we look at our own lives and we see stories of hurt or people disappoint us, it can be so easy to be angry to see the unfairness, the injustice, and ask, should God really show them mercy? And I think these questions are confronting because if our answer is no, if we don't think that God should love our enemies, if we think these terrible people aren't worthy of God's grace, then what does that mean for the cross? What does that mean for us? The cross is the place where justice and mercy meet. As broken people who have turned away from God and tried to do life our own way, we all deserve to die. But Jesus gave us what we do not deserve. In his compassion and great love, he took the punishment for our sin, dying on our behalf so that we might have life. This mercy feels irresponsible, scandalous, and even offensive. What kind of man would give up his own life for people who weren't even good, who he didn't even know? Our Jesus would. These two men display remarkable similarities. Both Jesus and Jonah have a time in their life where they were found sleeping peacefully at the bottom of a ship during a raging storm. But when we look at the rest of the similarities, we can see that Jesus is the better Jonah. Where Jonah would rather die than see God have mercy on his enemies, this humble servant Jesus willingly died to give mercy to his enemies. When Jonah was called by God to leave his home, to bring God's word to a people who don't deserve it, he refused. But when the king of heaven asked his son to step down from his throne to undergo an excruciating death, Jesus agrees with no hesitation. Where Jonah tries to run from God, not being able to bear the thought of what might happen if he obeyed, Jesus, fully aware of the cross before him, cried out, not my will, but yours be done. Where Jonah did everything he could to avoid bringing the message of God's mercy to sinners, Jesus went to great lengths to share this message of hope and mercy with all. In a world that is so full of hate and darkness and evil, it can become easy to lose sight of God's precious mercy and selfless grace. May our hearts not become hard to the beauty and the scandal of the cross. Don't let the darkness of this world let you lose sight of the fact that every human is a priceless and intricately designed masterpiece created in the image of God. Does that mean that we should excuse sin? Absolutely not. Though God has forgiven us and given us freedom, it does not mean that there aren't consequences for our actions. But this anger that comes from when our expectation of justice is not met, this anger is dangerous if we don't give it to God. So bring your anger to God. He can handle it. It is okay and important to be transparent with God and how we feel. But we must also remember that we serve a holy and all-knowing and all-powerful God. And ultimately, his ways are right and perfect, even if we don't understand them. We may not see the whole picture, but God does. Perhaps today you find yourself sitting in a valley similar to Jonah's. Maybe you are mad at God or wrestling with an aspect of his character, or struggling to have mercy and compassion for some people who are hard to love. How do we respond to this mercy? 
this costly act of love and compassion that really doesn't make sense but brings so much freedom and life. Let his love and mercy wash over you. And amongst the hurt and the pain of whatever valley you may be going through, know that the same unconditional love and mercy that God showed Jonah and the Ninevites is for you too. Come as you are before our gentle and kind king and let him love you. You are not too far gone or too hard to love. You don't have to earn this mercy. It's freely given to you. And then when you are ready, learn about the nature and character of our God and the mercy that he has shown us. And as you learn more about his mercy towards you, you won't be able to help but have mercy towards those around you. Remember, no one deserves God's mercy, but he freely gives it anyway. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Secondly, be astounded by his mercy. Come before this holy God and worship him and thank him for what he has done. Be transparent with where you've stuffed up and let him transform you and soften your heart. When we can be honest with God about our brokenness, we can then have joy in the extravagance of God's love and see the character of our God not something to be angry at, but something that we can treasure. Thirdly, don't stop doing the things. In Jonah's anger at God, he stopped serving God and others. He isolated himself from people and he became a spectator. When you find yourself in the valley, in faith, keep doing the things that give us life and bring us closer to the heart of God. Get involved in community or in a connect group. Keep coming to church and engaging with the word in your own time and keep on serving God and loving others. As Jake talked about a few weeks ago, come to God, come to the stream of living water and let him fill you and sustain you in the valley. And lastly, ask God to help us love him. True love for God results in love for others. But we need God's help to love him and then to love those around us. So ask God to give us understanding of the fullness of his love. That way, when we see those around us living lives apart from God and we see our dark and hurting world, we are filled with compassion and love. Before I start to wrap up here, I want to read you this quote by Timothy Keller about his thoughts as to Jonah's response to the end of the book. Because when we wrestle with God in the valley, sometimes it can be hard to see a way out of it and we can lose sight of what God is doing in us. But when Tim is writing about the sudden end of the book of Jonah, he says this, The end is brilliant and satisfying. It's satisfying because we don't need to wonder whether Jonah repented and saw the light. He must have. How do we know? Well, how else would we know this story unless Jonah told it to someone? And who would ever tell a story in which he is seen as an evil fool on every page except a man in whom God's grace has reached the center of his heart? Why, though, are we not showing Jonah's response in the book? It is as if God aimed an arrow of loving rebuke at Jonah's heart, set it afly, and suddenly Jonah vanishes, leaving us in his path. The question is coming right at us because you are Jonah and I am Jonah. We are so enslaved to our idols that we don't care about people who are different, who live in the big cities, or who are just in our own families, but who are hard to love. Are we, like Jonah, willing to change? If we are, then we must look to the ultimate Jonah and to his sign, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So today I want to challenge you, church, to see the beauty of a God who shows mercy to sinners, to not lose sight of the scandal of the cross, that God didn't die for perfect people, but for the broken and the lost. 
may we recognize the Jonah in ourselves and ask God to fill us with his love to be able to see every human as a precious and dearly loved child created in the image of God. As we move back into a time of worship, I want to pray over us a prayer that Paul um, writes to the church of Ephesus. So would you stand with me as I pray over us? In Ephesians 3, Paul writes, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or maybe after today's message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find out everything you need to know on our website, which is crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you click subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss out on new content. Thanks for stopping by.